We're in Luke chapter 19, and today's lesson uh, begins in uh, verse 28, and many of your Bibles will say that uh, it's the heading of this block of Scripture is called the Triumphal Entry, and and we'll be looking at, at that. And uh, <clears throat> uh, We have to kind of keep it in context with what's gone on before in, in uh, <clears throat> the previous lesson, uh, it was a two-parter called Occupy Till I Come, and it was the parable of the ten pounds or the, the, that he, he gave out, the Lord, the, the ruler gave out, and, and there were the good servants that took, and, and they each, they, they, there was ten pounds, they each got a pound, and they took the pound and, and said, thy pound has gained ten pounds, or thy pound has gained five pounds, and, and he said, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servants. And the wicked servant said, well, I just kept your pound. I didn't do anything with it. And what a picture of the gospel that we we see that was presented to, uh, for example, the Jewish religion, and they didn't do anything with it. They just kind of, they didn't understand it. And And the point we made was that you can't talk about what you don't know. They knew the law, and that's really what they talked about. And 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 we find that same thing true in religion today that uh, they, people can't really talk; they can't speak to things that they don't understand. And unless a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God, and he certainly can't tell others about it with any degree of truthfulness. And 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 then he talked about his enemies. He says. He, he said the other there there was a division there. There were the faithful servants that took the gospel and distributed, it, and there were the the wicked servants and, and and the ones that were called mine enemies. Those those citizens who said we'll not have this man to rule over us. And so that brings us to verse twenty eight. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. So he was in front. He was the leader. He was at the head of the pack of people there, this multitude that that were going along. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye to the village over against you in the way, or in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied whereupon Yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. <clears throat> and they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose you the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. <clears throat> and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he, as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, <clears throat> even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Uh, it's written that that's going to happen. And he said, 
you can't stop that. <clears throat> so uh, there's quite a lot, and we're just going to kind of have a uh, kind of an introductory uh, portion today that that uh, deals with. Uh, the, the first few verses here. And remember, as we said, he was coming from Jericho. He's coming from the east and going up from 800 feet below sea level. He's going up to almost 4,000 feet at the, at the Mount of Olives. And, and when you come up to the Mount of Olives, you have two, two little villages there. You have Bethany, and then a little further on, you have Bethphage. Uh, and those were these two towns that we were mentioned here in the first couple of verses. And then you went over the top of the Mount of Olives and then down into the Kidron Valley and then up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> so uh, it's interesting that every, all four Gospels have this narrative in them. They, they all, and they all bring a little bit different uh, points about it. We'll look at a couple of those in part. Uh, because it adds some very interesting things here. So before we begin, I'd just like to, in context, it's just critical to remember the essentials of what's transpiring. The most important thing, the Son of Man, he said, is coming to seek and save that which was lost, Luke 19.27. What is the purpose of his being here? The purpose of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the purpose of seeking out all of his sheep from among those his enemies and securing their eternal lives by the sacrifice of his earthly life. He he came with that specific. He was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So that's his mission, and, and yet the vast majority of these people that are with him and following him along are thinking, Oh, he's going to be the earthly king. He's going to throw off the Roman yoke. He's going to deliver us from the tyranny of the Romans. Uh, remember, Archelaus slew 3,000 of them, and Pilate mingled the blood of some Galileans with the sacrifice. And they suffered a lot of atrocities at the hands of, uh, the, of the Romans. And, and uh, it wasn't their their ideal situation in their minds. They would like to be their own kingdom again. They wanted Jesus to come in and be their king and be their ruler and and establish uh, kind of moral guidelines and be a good ruler and and they would live happily ever after. <coughs> but he says, that's not why I'm here. I came here. <coughs> he says, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom is not from hence. I came here to seek and to save that which was lost. That was my mission from God. <clears throat> and uh, I came to lay down my life a ransom for many. <clears throat> In Ezekiel, or Isaiah 62, 11, it says, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say you to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. What prophetic words there as he approaches Jerusalem for the, for, for really this week is the last time. We're, we're in the last week in, in this block of scripture here. He's, he's going to come to Jerusalem and he's going to kind of come and go a few times. And, and then ultimately it's going to end in his betrayal 
and his sacrifice on the cross. So, uh, <clears throat> so we're down to the 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 end. <clears throat> and you know, even though the sheep are scattered among the enemies, <clears throat> the Lord is able to see them, to seek them, and to save them. Isn't that wonderful? We're, you look out and you just look at the vast multitude and he says, Oh, Zacchaeus, I know your name. Come down. <laughs> and, and that's the way it is. Uh, he knows his sheep. He knows their name. He calls them and, and they hear his voice and they follow him. <clears throat> and even if they're scattered among those and you know, physically, they don't look any different to to us or to anybody. The Lord is able to to see and to know His sheep and and save them from the pit that that they're in. <clears throat> and it's interesting that even though they're among the enemies and in their natural condition, they're at enmity with Him, and yet. The Lord is loved them with an everlasting love. He never views them as the enemies. He just views them as lost sheep. That when you're born again, you're going to you're going to be able to see. And and as Mike was mentioning in our little meeting that we had earlier, when, as it says in Ezekiel, when I, when I give you a new heart. <laughs> When you're born again, then you're gonna, you're not gonna be at enmity with me anymore. You're gonna love me. You're gonna look at yourself entirely different. You're gonna look at yourself as, as uh, and loathe yourself because of your sins. But he's gonna make that better by saying, "I've taken care of that. You don't have to worry about it anymore." <clears throat> and so, it, it's interesting also that in our previous lesson. In Occupy Till I Come, the view our Lord has of the only two peoples that we have described, and Norm's been describing them also on and declaring them on Wednesday night in, in Zechariah 14, the great division of people. <clears throat> you know, everybody kind of falls into the two classes. There's the the wicked servants are under the enemies that would not have this man to reign over them, and, and uh, he calls them mine enemies, and the other ones... Or he calls them friends. He calls them faithful servants, and uh, those are the only uh, two classes that we have. And <clears throat> the faithful servants, whom he's loved with that everlasting love, and those mine enemies, who were the vessels of wrath fitted for for destruction. It says from eternity, uh, those who hated him and would not have him to reign over him, it, to have him rule over them it, it it incensed their sensibilities is kind of a, the he said i just that just grates me that i have to give in and we'll never give in until we've been born again <laughs> but we we will just not have that man to reign over us until that happens and but it 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 grates on their sensibilities to to have to not have it their way. I have my idea how religion and salvation ought to work according to my standards and my ideology. 
And what he's saying is not it. <laughs> free grace is, is uh, we're going to find through our lesson here that free grace is, is not well thought of in, uh, in uh, the general population. Uh, <clears throat> uh, he would not be any was not the king of their imaginations. They had, their, they had a, a picture and a thought in their mind of how they wanted things to be. And that, that was not going to, that was not the truth. <clears throat> and yet, they said things that God declared that they would say. Hosanna to the king. Uh, they would they would declare the spiritual nature of his coming, even though they really couldn't see it and understand it. Remember, even the disciples in Acts said, "Will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" And, and uh, <clears throat> so, you know, there we have that. Unless a man be born again, he, he just can't see the kingdom of God. And and so, in verse twenty-eight, when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. Again, he's coming from the east. It's the last week, his final journey to Jerusalem, the last Passover. It's just, I, I was just reading through that this morning, how he, they were having that Passover dinner in that upper chamber that he had all prepared. And they observed the Passover feast, and he just took everything and said, here's what this really means. Here's what... Here's what this bread means. My body broken for you. Here's what this cup means. Take this cup and divide it among yourselves, he said. And and whenever you do this, remember me. Because this is my blood that I'm going to shed for you. This is my body that is going to be broken for you. And uh, so we'll get there sometime in the future. (laughs) So... uh, The last Passover, the true Lamb of God would be sacrificed, the blood applied for the sins of all His people of all time. And in verse 29, And it came to pass when He was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples. And, and so I'd like to spend a little bit of time on those two towns this morning because they're, they're significant. And on my map that I had, and I think I shared that graphic with you a couple of lessons ago but as you come up that trail from Jericho you come to Bethany first and remember that's where Lazarus was raised from the dead his dear friend of Jesus and that but that's how he looks at all of his saints he says from henceforth I call you not servants I call you my friends and I, there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends and and so Lazarus raised from the dead, and and he let him go through that physical death on purpose, if you remember that, and and he waited till four days, and they said, "Oh man, don't don't open that." They wanted he wanted to make sure that everybody understood the concept of death, and they they were pretty aware of that they didn't have refrigeration and stuff. <laughs> You roll back that rock and it's going to smell bad, you know, because he's been in there long enough to, for the decomposition process to begin. And, and, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out and uh, he said, loose him and let, let him go. And, and <clears throat> so that happened there. And 
and uh, that the name of Bethany means house of dates, and date palms were the the typical tree there in that area, and those palms produced dates. My dad worked on a date palm ranch down in California when before I was born and after World War two and and uh, date palms kind of play a significant role in what transpires and Bethphage means house of unripe figs. Fig trees have always represented in an allegorical way the the effects of the fall. They, right off the bat in Genesis we find Adam made aprons of fig leaves. And so we have that and and in Matthew chapter 20 and 21 rather in Matthew 21 in this account of the same circumstances that we find Jesus in here uh Jesus cursed a fig tree there and and so we'll look at the significance of that in context with what's been previously examined in that parable of the 10 pounds that we that we looked at in our previous lesson occupy till I come and you know again that that parable showed that the Jews had been entrusted with the gospel but they really couldn't see it and therefore they could not and didn't do anything with it uh, they produced no fruit the gospel seed was not sown they had the words but they didn't have the spirit the, they appeared ultra religious but it was only skin deep uh, Matthew twenty three twenty seven says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for your like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Remember, they would, before the Passover, all the Jews would go out to all the... It was it, If you touched a dead man's body or even his grave, you were considered unclean for a week. And... So they didn't want anybody to accidentally come trodden into Jerusalem and step on a sepulcher or sit down on one or not not recognize it. So they went out and painted them all white and pretty so they would show up. <clears throat> he said, but inside they're full of bones. They're full of dead man's bones. And and that's what he, he said you you religious hypocrites look like. You're you kinda look okay on the outside, but inside it's not good. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. The Lord said, "For as much as this people, they draw near me with their mouth. They said all the religious words. They said God, Elohim, and Lord Jehovah, and and sacrifice, and blah 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 blah. They said all the religious words and pay your tithes and and I fast three times a week and and I do all the." I keep all the law. They said all the religious words, but he says, their lips honor me, but they've removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. So in Matthew 21, we have the record of the Lord approaching this, this fig tree, this kind of a metaphorical fig tree expecting fruit. So let's turn to uh, Matthew 21, 18. And he had, in, in this account, in Matthew, he had already made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, cleansed the temple of the money changers, returned back up the Mount of Olives, 
to Bethany to lodge at night. That's where he, w- he would go into Jerusalem for the day and then he would go back out over the Mount of Olives and go to Bethany and stay with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And that's where the, the, she washed his feet with her tears and the perfume and all those, those kind of things. <clears throat> and in the morning, he leaves the house of dates in the Bethany and he passes through this Bethphage area, the house of unripe figs. And so in Matthew twenty one eighteen, now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And he said unto it, <clears throat> Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth, henceforward forever. And presently... The fig tree withered away, and the disciples saw it, and they marveled and saying, How soon is a fig tree withered away? I mean, right in front of their very eyes, it just went dried up and withered. And But isn't that, isn't that interesting? He he came forward with with an expectation. I mean he he was he knew, but it's it, it's for us, it's for the church, it's for the for our admonition, he he went to that fig tree expecting to get fruit off of it, and there was nothing there but leaves, and and so he curses it and said, "From henceforth, you're never gonna, the Jewish religion is never going to bear fruit. It's just not." The figure the fig tree accurately describes the the Jewish religionist state of being, and and. As we read just a minute ago, they were like whited sepulchers. And like this tree, they were beautiful on the outside. They had the appearance of tree. They had the leaves. But when you got to digging around in the leaves, there wasn't anything in there. It was it was uh, bare. And it didn't produce any fruit. It should have produced fruit, but it did not. It had only, it had only leaves. It had only the show. And you know the words and the judgment of the Lord are born of righteousness and born of divine justice and born of the sovereignty of Almighty God. He said, there should be fruit here, but you didn't do anything with it. So from henceforth, forevermore, you'll never bear fruit. You could have if you would have just seen the gospel. Uh, isn't that what it says in Hebrews 4, 2? Uh, the God for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. <clears throat> that in Zechariah 14, as Norm has been teaching on Wednesday nights, the, the Jews had been blessed with the gospel, blessed with infinite displays of grace and power, right in front of their face, and yet it didn't profit them. They just couldn't see it. And and we find the same thing here. Jesus is standing right in their midst. They could not see him as Christ. <clears throat> and uh, they couldn't see him as Savior. They couldn't, they couldn't see the kingdom of God. So when he saw that fig tree and found nothing thereon but leaves only, he said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And so back here to Luke 19. Again, there's significance in the in the two villages. You know, in, in Acts chapter 1, it says, uh, 
that and I read in one of my archaeological geographical th- study things that Bethphage was a Sabbath day's journey from Jerusalem and that, and that's kind of what it says in Acts 1:12 they went back to the Mount of Olives which was a Sabbath day's journey from Jerusalem well a, a Sabbath day's journey was the maximum amount of distance you could travel on the Sabbath day without breaking the law So isn't it interesting that Bethphage was the limit of the Sabbath day's journey? The house of unripe figs was as far as the law would let you go. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? But you could go a little farther to Bethany and get grace, where Lazarus was raised from the dead. So you have these two pictures here. Of these two, what these two towns kind of represent spiritually. One place is just as far as the law lets you go, and the next place is where grace had done a mighty work. What a contrast. A place of grace versus a place of cursing. And you know what's really interesting is that at the very moment that this has taken place, the Jews are they're planning, they're trying to figure out how they can kill Lazarus again. I mean, he died, by, he died of illness the first time. <clears throat> but now they're trying to figure out how to kill him. Uh, uh, in John, we read that in John chapter 12, verse 9. It <clears throat> uh, talks about this kind of the same block of time. And much of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. <clears throat> that's the Lord, that's Jesus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also. All these multitudes says, oh, we want to see Jesus because he does all the miracles. And we want to see Lazarus because we all know that he was dead, 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 four times dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. So they came not for Jesus' sake only. They wanted to see that show, but they also wanted to see what was on channel two. They wanted to see Lazarus also. That would be something. I saw Lazarus. He was dead. They might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead, in verse 10 of John chapter 12. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. So it infers there that they already had consulted how to put Jesus to death. And they wanted to put Lazarus to death also because it didn't fit their scheme. It didn't fit their ideology. They couldn't see him as the kingdom of God. And all they saw in Lazarus was he's evidence that of, who, of what we don't like, basically. And so the view of the fall turns out to be, how can we kill grace? And that's an important concept for us to keep in mind Religion's always trying to kill grace, all the time. It's a, just like a non-stop battle. Well, I know the, what the Bible says, but we don't like that, so we don't go there. We, we take that seed and snip that grace part off of the end of it. Well, then it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't grow. Uh, as we learned in our last uh, lesson there, uh, and... Uh, 
You know, it's it's interesting. I was talking to Norm. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but they wanted to kill Jesus right along, but he had such a crowd following with him, they were afraid, the Scripture tells us. They wanted to kill him, but they were, they could not because of the multitude. They feared that if they killed him with the great multitude of people around him, it would be bad for them. Uh, the people would be up in arms. And then we find later on that Judas comes to them and says, I'll figure out a way to get him to you apart from the crowd. And, and we'll find that later here and as we as we go on. But uh, how can we kill grace? Isn't that awful? Isn't that awful? So we have a contrast to dividing the, the faithful servants bearing the fruit of the gospel, the wicked servants, mine enemies, bearing nothing but leaves. All these, all these things, they're not separate incidences. They're not separate things. They're all pointing to the same, the same thing. <clears throat> they're pointing to Christ, the gospel in Christ, and they're pointing to the total failure of man's ability to do anything in his own behalf, whether by law, by works, by his own ideology, by his own methodology. <clears throat> uh, Almost everything in religion turns something that's in the scripture into some, uh, I think, uh, uh, in this commentary on Romans. Norm, who's that? Uh, the, Haldane. Yeah, Haldane, Robert Haldane. He says, it gets turned into methodology. <laughs> it gets turned into a method of things you can do to turn works of grace into righteousness well I kept the law from my youth up or I did this I pray three times a day I fast twice a week I, I all these things that I do and and yet all that is to no avail you know in in this house of dates these you think about a palm tree it grows just straight up tall and then it just kind of blooms out at the top. It just kind of, to me, it just says, boy, what a picture of of the Lord. Just this stalk comes out of the ground and then the fruit and everything is up there. And just, he did this. He caused this. The righteous shall flourish, flourish like the palm tree. Psalm ninety-two, twelve. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Our pastor's going to experience that right before he's aging, right before our eyes. <laughs> Says he's still going to bring forth fruit. So they shall be fat and flourishing. I'm not going to say anything about that part. <laughs> to show that the Lord is upright, he's my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. So isn't that interesting how that talks about that palm tree flourishing and bearing fruit? And what is the purpose of it? To show that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. 
It explains it. Explains it. <clears throat> so verse 29, It came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village over against you, in the which <clears throat> at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. You know, all that is written must be fulfilled. There's not... It wasn't just written just so we can say, oh, yeah, and he was a good fortune teller. He had a good crystal ball. or, or It was written for a purpose. And it will transpire. It will, it will be fulfilled. It shall come to pass. Remember we had that lesson on that? It shall come to pass, whatever the Lord said, whatever he wrote down in the, in the Old Testament. It shall come to pass. <clears throat> it cannot fail. Not one word of what is written in the law and in the prophets. It cannot fail. What, a, what an important thing for us to hang on to. Whatever the Lord has set his seal to, it cannot fail. It cannot fail. <clears throat> Zechariah 9, nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout. That's what they're going to do here. They're going to shout as he comes in. Hosanna to the... O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. That's Zechariah 9 9. That's a long time before where we're at in Luke 19. A long time. And he didn't write it just for accident. <clears throat> you know, in Romans 3 26. That's kind of, I was reading Haldane's commentary on, on Romans 3 because of this, this verse in Zechariah where it says he's just. He is absolutely just. He is, there's no shadow of turning with him in his justice. Well, in Romans 3.26 it says, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. When he comes riding in, he is absolutely just, and he's going to be the justifier of his people. He's going to completely satisfy the requirements of righteousness. He's going to completely satisfy what's required to be just. Uh, on the back of your... Uh, Bulletins. I think there's a sermon portion by Gary Shepherd that said, "What what's it say there, Norm? Sin is sin is never ignored or covered up. It's it must be punished." Uh, it cannot be reversed. Yeah. It must be punished. It cannot be reversed. It must be punished. And he is there to satisfy that need. He is going to go there and by imputation take the sins of his people, take them to the cross, die in their place, and then by imputation deliver his righteousness to them. And they have that 
and it's 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 eternal. <clears throat> he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. When you're when you've been justified, well, one of the old Baptist preachers always said, "It's just as if I'd never sinned." It's, that's how God sees you, could be because your sins have been taken by His Son and dealt with. <clears throat> so it's interesting to. Uh, look at this and say, well, who rejoices and who does not? Some rejoice even though their understanding is is really incorrect spiritually. They nevertheless are gathered together to do the part which God hath before determined should be done. They're going to shout Hosanna to the king. They're going to cry out, the Lord your king cometh. even though they don't really maybe understand it. Others don't rejoice. They're saying, I wish he would just go away and never come back because I don't like what he says. Uh, Remember when he, in John 6.6, hey, no one can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And after that, Many of his disciples walked no more with him. <laughs> he said, we don't like that. We liked everything. We liked the free fish and bread and stuff. But when it come right down to getting the truth of the gospel, yeah, take that seed and snip it in half. <laughs> they didn't rejoice. And even at that moment, they're unleashing the full evil of their nature in the fall. They're plotting to kill him. In their hearts, they've already done it. They're just trying to figure out how they can do it and get away with it. They're scheming. They're planning. They're going to go to him and try to catch him in a series of... They just have no idea who they're dealing with because they can't see the king of glory. They can't see. Well, we'll try and get him to say that you shouldn't pay your taxes. And then they, when he didn't fall for that, they lied about it. <laughs> and then they said, well, it worked, didn't it? So they're planning to be rid of this one whom they hated without a cause, whom they would not have reign over him. And again, we have grace, the great divider. In, remember back to our lesson in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Suppose you that I'm come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. So the gospel of grace is the only thing that makes a difference. Coming to Christ because He's drawn you. Coming to Christ because He said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That's the only answer. So we'll stop there and next time we'll pick up as the actual triumphal entry. Thank you for your attention and be free.